0: Welcome to the Table Dallas podcast.
1: At the Table Dallas, we create a sacred space to worship, connecting our stories with the story of God as revealed in scriptures. We invite you now to listen to this week's discussion. What's Table Dallas? Whether you're here in the orchard. Mill Street House, like that, raucous Mill Street House, where you've got families here, and God loves the sound of families in worship, and we're glad that you've taken the time to join us um, in our study um, entitled Havel, Life Under the Sun. It's a study of probably the book that you guys more commonly know as Ecclesiastes. Havel is the name in Hebrew. And uh, we're working our way, this is our fifth week in the study, so if you're joining us somewhere around the world, we appreciate you taking the time to be part of that study as well. So when we left off last week at the, in the first four verses of chapter four, we looked um, outward um, at the injustices and abuses that were rampant in the world and are today, and the pain that they cause the quester. And also we identified some of the pain that causes it, it causes us as well. So this week, in his text, he's gonna turn back inward. It seems like he goes inward, outward, inward, outward. So he's back inward today. Might get a little bit more uncomfortable because again, um, I'm trying to steer us. You know, my job is not like to be your spiritual sherpa. You remember me talking about that? You know what a sherpa does, right? What does a sherpa do? Somebody tell me. Brian, what does a Sherpa do? They help people up mountains. Yeah, how do they help them up mountains? They carry the load. They carry the load. They carry all the heavy stuff, right? So um, I'm not your spiritual Sherpa. I'm not going to carry the heavy load. That's part of what we're trying to do together to learn how to do this. And one of the challenges when we, when we deal with something like this is to kind of deal with it like in the abstract. But wisdom literature is all about how it affects us right? And so I keep driving us back to making sure we get to the ICCG questions, which is like, so what does this mean to us as individuals, as a community, in a city? And so today we're going to go through the text. Much of the early part that we'll be looking at is, is themes that he said on the floor, and we'll touch on some of those. And then when we cross into the fifth chapter, we kind of have our real focal point that I really kind of want us to to narrow in on. So it's... This is where we're going to find ourselves today, Koheleth chapter 4. So what I've done on your miscellany, again, uh, this is a translation, a really like gut-level translation of the Hebrew um, to kind of get across the ideas. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to read um, all of chapter 4. So it's chapter 4, verses 4 through 16. On your sheet, chapter 4, verse 16 is at the top of the second page there. It's just the way it fit. So I really wish it had fit on one page, trust me. Um, I tried it several times, but then you wouldn't have been able to read the font. So if somebody would then read into the record for us, Koheleth chapter four, beginning at verse four through verse 16, which is up on the second page.
2: Anyway, you all have it in front of you. Avoiding obvious evils is not enough. Even honest and skillful work tends towards vanity. Take a close look, and you'll find that even your best work is harbored by pride. It's compromised by an angry, competitive spirit that wants more than its fair share. It wants to be envied. This jealous ambition cannot say whether it devours your competition or not. It will certainly devour you. Work, though, can't be avoided life forces us back into it. Fools may sit on their hands and refuse to work, but their lethargy is its own punishment. However, wearing out your life at work is no answer either. It's better to work patiently and rest from time to time, acknowledging the earth and sky, than to exhaust yourself at the office chasing prizes that can't be satisfied. Feeding your greed will only make you hungrier. It would only make you lonelier. Consider the fool who never stops working and can never get enough money and who, as a result, has no friends, no spouse, no children. In the end, such fools will cry to themselves, Who is this wealth for? Who has it blessed, all of its empty, futile, and vain? This is why two people are always better than one. They at least have each other. If one falls, the other can help them. Pity the fool who stumbles alone. If two sleep together, they can at least keep each other warm. How can anyone keep warm by themselves? And clearly, they're safe in numbers. Alone, you're vulnerable. Together, you're strong. A three-strand rope is much stronger than thread. This is why it's better to be an attentive beggar than a deaf king. Even if a man escapes poverty and imprisonment to rise to kingship, this stunning success can't save him. This king, this powerful man, a destroyer of armies, a ruler of millions, sovereignty and body, will also die and be forgotten. Just consider the countless successors that will displace him, the billions that walk the earth with him, and the untold generations that have passed before him, no one will care, no one will remember. Me. The scale of reality frail my nerves and seizes my brain. Deep time will swallow us whole. Even now, our own shallow troubles are more than we can bear. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah. So. Kohala begins by identifying
1: pride, this is verse 4, right? Pride as the thing that hobbles our attempts to find meaning in our work, right? I think we probably can all identify and agree, and push back if you feel like you need to, that in the worst versions of ourselves, you like that? The worst versions of ourselves, these things are true, right? Jealous ambition will devour us. What is it about that nature of work that makes it that kind of a challenging, uh, balancing act for us? What is it about the nature of work that makes it challenging as it relates to the things he's hit there? Jealous ambition, and knocking each other down, and the competitive nature, and hobbying, hobble pride, all of those things. What do you say? What is it about work and the nature of it that leads to all of those things? Or maybe you don't. Maybe we don't agree. With hmm. Maybe that's not
3: our
2: experience. What do you think? The nature of work that leads to ambition, pride, and all of these things—the cut, cutthroat competition. It's
0: measurable, and we can see it. It's something we can see.
1: So it's tangible, something you can yeah. see, okay? And measure and know if you're better. Okay, you can, huh, it's a, you can, you you believe there's a measurable way that you can know that you're better than someone at your job. Okay. <laughs> you, you have to have an element of all of those
0: things to succeed at work. With. I mean, so, and I think he's identifying that, right? It's, it's not wrong
1: to have ambition at work, right? You are supposed to be doing, you know, you're supposed to be working to the best of our ability, right? It brings honor to God. But there's a tension here, right, that he's expressing, right, between that ambition to
2: be at the top and some of the residual challenges that come with it. I think one residual challenge is being able to succeed or advance without demeaning or... Destroying someone else around you or below you could we'll be a real challenge in
1: today's corporate world. Yeah, so we would, you, you would view that for a lot of people they think of the workplace as a zero sum gain, like if somebody is gaining, then that means somebody else has to be moving down in order for that, for you to be successful, okay, gotcha. What comes
3: to my mind is like the workaholic
4: who just works and works and works and has no time for friends or family. I think he alludes to that as well.
0: Yeah. not clear what your question really was, but I'm going to give you an answer and then you can tell me what question. (laughs) (laughs) Is this (laughs) Jeffrey? So what is, what is, it'll be there tomorrow. Huh. Um, so one of the inherent downfalls of work is it's always going to be there tomorrow. So, you know, when do you say when? Right. And walk away because it'll be there tomorrow. So there is yeah. no end to it. Yeah. And I think that's, involved. yeah, you
1: just, you've just gone to verses five and six, right. but it's the same idea, right? Somebody was getting ready to say something. No. So yeah, I agree with
3: you. I, in, in that same vein, I, I'm hearing echoes of here, and it might just because I'm reading the Underachievers manif- Manifesto, mm. which argues for instead of that chasing that ambition, be good, yeah. and let that be enough.
0: Yeah. Mediocrity is yeah. <laughs> it doesn't
3: drive you crazy. You can let go of the things that don't matter. <laughs>
1: <That's> <laughs> what I can feel some people are like, ah! <laughs> don't tell me that. No, but he's kind of hitting on the right, he's giving you the he's like, Okay, so on one hand there's this huge like push toward ambition that leads you to greed, I've gotta be better than everybody, I've gotta stomp on everybody, right, Rhonda? You're like you gotta well, stomp over people.
5: There's always somebody up above you that's judging your performance True. too. Yeah. So right. part of these things you need to be successful, yeah. otherwise you're not gonna be a happy job. Right. So there's that balance. Yeah. But yeah.
1: Yeah, because he, he hits on the idea of like the fool is lethargic. Like, just like, I'm just going to kind of quietly quit (laughs) for the whole rest of my career, right? Yeah, go ahead. I think
3: the problem is when it becomes all-consuming and it becomes your whole identity. Yeah. Well, the pain of it is, if you have a bad day and you don't succeed, you're so tied up in that. That's who you are. Right. And that's the danger that he's pointing out here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So... Work can't be avoided. That's verses
1: 5 through 8, right? Work can't be avoided, Um, so we better make the best of it. Is that fair? Like, we better make the best of it. We shouldn't be lethargic, but wearing ourselves out at work, that's no life either. So there's some balance that needs to be found. My wife is looking at me with a strange look on her face. (laughs) Work-life balance. She's looking. She's giving me the evil eye. For those of you who listening on podcast, um, but it is. He mentions like right. It's work to. It's best to work patiently. Rest from time to time. Wait a minute. There's somebody somewhere that said six days. Were, how does that go? <laughs> six days we're supposed to work, and on the seventh we're Rip. supposed to Rip. Oh yeah, we call that what? Sabbath, Sabbath. so he's having There's a little, you know, a little nod to, you know, maybe we should follow that pattern, but overall, do you think we can agree with his assessment here about work in these first, I don't know, let's just say first six verses or so, that there is a tension between overwork and what Phil gets to experience now, which is I do what I want when I want. Heaven baby. Heaven baby. That's called hashtag retirement. Right? All right. Good. Any pushback on that? I mean, does that seem reasonable? But notice what he says in verses 7 and 8. I thought it was interesting. He says, feeding your greed will only make you hungrier, it'll make you, wait, lonelier? And he goes on to explain. um, How does that happen? I mean, is that just the natural consequence? Is it what Mike was talking about just a few minutes ago? Where when you're successful at work, it's only because you smashed down everybody else that was in your way? Is that why you're alone here?
2: It doesn't have to be in that, in that scenario either. For example, I have no employer. I'm my own employer, but I can get caught up in this just as much as someone trying to climb the corporate ladder uh, there's always something that needs to get done when you own a business and it never ends so you can you can be a great business owner and very successful but what did you sacrifice to get there did you sacrifice your relationship with your family did you sacrifice your health did you sacrifice your time with friends, did you sacrifice time with the Lord in prayer? Yeah.
1: You ever, I think I told you my definition of entrepreneurship or an entrepreneur, having been one for better part of my life. An entrepreneur is somebody who is willing to work 60, 70, 80 hours to avoid working 40 for somebody else. <laughs> that is the definition
5: of an entrepreneur, right? <coughs> exactly. All right, good. Any other, I mean, he basically
1: says, what's the conclusion there at the end of verse eight? Um, You make all this money, like you succeed, you make all of this money, um, who's the wealth for? Who have you blessed? His conclusion is, it's all empty, futile, and vain. What do you think? Is he right? Could be.
5: Doesn't
1: have to be. Okay.
5: If the wealth is for you, then maybe, but if you're building it to give, to build others up, then not necessarily. Yeah. So the
1: implication here is, because this is all empty vain and futile, or futile, that actually sounds better. futile, futile in this instance, it means that he's probably not doing what you're describing. Like, he's not doing this so that he could be helpful to others, And take the blessings that God's given them. It's like, I'm looking for meaning and purpose in my life through the pursuit of work and or how little can I get away with. It's both and. Right? Alright, so now let's look there at verses 9 through 12. So 9 through 12 have an interesting connection um, to another ancient work of literature that's outside of Scripture. Um, One of the things that I hope to do um, in the coming year, and we've been doing this like the last couple of years. We, we've been tackling uh, each year at the table a different way, of or not a different way of understanding the different ways in which we must um, interpret and go about understanding texts based on genre. So, for instance, wisdom literature has a unique approach, I believe, compared to like a narrative story. But we also have, uh, which we're getting ready to hopefully do with next year, this idea of mythicized history. How do we deal with history that's been written by the victors? So it includes certain information and leaves out other information. We also have this idea that we have to be careful to avoid, that um, these scripture writers have never been and were not influenced by the literature and writing and wisdom, if you want to call it, of the time. And this is an example of most people, most scholars agree, this is an example of. A quotation or um, an homage to um, one of the few surviving texts from pre-biblical times. Anybody want to take a hazard a guess as to this particular piece of literature? I can promise you that if you went to high school... Sorry, not Beowulf. But good, good, good. It, it precedes Beowulf by quite a little bit. But good guess,
3: Gilgamesh. Yes, the Epic
1: of Gilgamesh. Right, the Epic of Gilgamesh was written something along the lines of two to three hundred years before historically, before the writings here. This writing in in Koheleth is post-exilic, so this means it's after Israel has returned. So this material there is borrow this wisdom perhaps, could be borrowed, that doesn't mean it just means it was borrowed from another source. Um, so I think it's interesting that the, um, the character in there that's giving wisdom in the Epic of Gilgamesh is uh, a woman by the name of Siduri. Now some of you who um, have been to our house and have been to great wine tasting, Siduri is one of our favorite California wine makers. Just throw that in don't listen on podcast. It's, Siduri makes uh, fabulous red wines, right? But in the Epic of Gilgamesh, she's the female divinity. So if you remember your high school literature class, Siduri attempts to dissuade Gilgamesh from going on his quest. Interesting. He's on a quest. What's his quest about? Anybody remember? Immortality? Sorry? Immortality. Yeah, immortality, finding meaning and purposes so that my life goes on and on and on, right? And Suduri is attempting to persuade or dissuade him from that. And she tempts him with the contentment of a simple life lived in community with others. Like, if you pursue this and you go after this, the result will be you'll be all on your own. And it's going to be, you may live to be immortal, but you're going to be what? Lonely. and miserable, something like what we just described. So, here's my question. So, why do you think that the quester might include wisdom from something like the Epic of Gilgamesh? Epic of Gilgamesh. Why include that? Anybody? it'd be recognizable to the reader? Okay. Good. Other thoughts on why you would include something? Maybe something that you know it might
4: be a little because maybe everybody's saying that
1: to you. Okay. The actual quote from the epic is that um, Gilgamesh is speaking to his friend and uh, Enkidu, how do you say, Enkidu, Enkidu, I I always pronounce it, but it's E-N-K-I-D-U, Says to um, Gilgamesh, two men will not die, the towed boat will not sink, a tow rope of three strands cannot be cut. And as we just read there at the end of verse 12, I think it's right there at the end, right? Is it verse 12? Yeah, a three-strand rope is much stronger than thread. So the whole context of 9 through 12 is about life in community. It seems like to me that a life lived in connection to others is about the only thing that Koheleth can stomach amidst all of this absurdity. In the midst of all of life's absurdity, he seems to feel like if I can live it in in connection, like real valuable connection with others, it at least has some meaning. What do you think of that assumption? Do you think I'm right? Do you think that's about where we are here with this um, section here in 9 through 12? Is life in community about the only thing that we've seen so far that seems to sit well with Co-Help?
4: feels to me like he could be actually talking about marriage here when he talks about laying together and, you know, the three strands being stronger because,
0: you know, once, once a family has a child, that makes it an even stronger, it can make it an even stronger bond.
1: Okay.
5: All right. Also, always kind of associated this going back to the garden. Like God added... Right. He didn't want. He didn't want
1: Adam to be alone. So the three chord imagery in the garden is three. It's Adam, Eve, and yeah, walking through it, right. So that three. So I think there's probably better than the husband, wife, child thing. Is the you know the relationship of, of each other and communion with God you're Yeah. Other thoughts. I mean. He's certainly kind of grumpy <laughs> Which said he's, he's certainly pessimistic, but he seems to understand that there's some kind of practical solace that's found in kinship
3: with one another. What do you think? Yeah, I'm struck again on the idea, like just the expanding um, realms of, of relationship, the family, um, into the local community, into the nation of Israel, harkening um, back to that. And again, depending on who this is, like the disconnection. He's even been disconnected. I mean, talked about it before. Of you know, even after striving for all this, I put myself more separated from this. So it's almost like he's walking his way out of. I'm in this loneliness. What can I get? Why well, don't I just find one other person who can might like, understand share by, or, or share my misery. By, share my misery? Right. Okay. <laughs> misery left a <over>. That's true. <laughs> Any other thoughts? I think his position being king or being quote a leader or simply uh, king makes it more difficult to live in yeah. Just by the nature of yeah. Yeah. it's hard
1: to have Yeah, it's hard to have, when you're in a position like that of authority and kingship, royalty, whatever, you're at the top, it's very difficult, like you said, to have real relationships because you're always, you're always wondering, all right, are they, how do I say it nicely, are they just kissing up to me, are they, I mean, are they only telling me what I want to hear, like. You don't
5: want to show your weaknesses. yeah, Yeah, you
1: certainly don't want to show that because you're expected to be strong, so you wouldn't want to identify any weakness that you have, right, true. That. But it seems to me that, that Koheleth is finally maybe seeding a little bit of ground, like just giving a little bit here, admitting that they're um, to something that has some worth in life. Now, it's not perfect, but, but he kind of, I think, is echoing the words of Genesis, right? It's not good for, what, man or humankind to be alone. So he's seeding some ground, right, to the First Testament idea, right, that God created us to live in community, right, right, relation. Oh, no, i got to stop that, in relationship with God, each other, and the world. I need to up with a better word than right. right? Who challenged me on that last day? It yeah, was Holly Holly did. Did. Um To live in, but you don't understand what I'm
3: saying? Healthy.
1: Healthy, or, yeah, yeah, we got it. All right, alone we're vulnerable, together we're strong. That's the idea behind a free spring rope. Alright, let's look at verses 13 through 16. So we conclude chapter 4 with like a final word from about, I guess I'm going to call it the fickle nature of admiration and popularity. I.e., let's all go back to
2: high school. Let's not. not. (laughs)
1: Please don't send me back to high school, right? So he gives this quick sketch of a story that he tells here about uh, a formerly poor man's rise to power. Um, it could remind us of at least one other, actually, probably two First Testament stories. We won't go into it. The one obvious one, Rags to reach a story, in the First Testament, book of Genesis. I'm dropping the hints. He was a nothing, and he became second. Joseph. 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 Okay, so you have Joseph, who is
5: nothing, goes to that, and then there's a
1: whole other story with Jeroboam and Rehoboam. We won't go into that, right? But, but these verses kind of outline a, a rags to riches story. But take a look at it again, 13 through 16. There's kind of an ironic twist at the end. Like if you're reading the story of rags to riches, what are we expecting? the conclusion of the story to be, every rags to riches story. Happily
3: ever after.
1: Yeah, like even the Joseph story, right? It's happily ever after. He gets his dad there, for a little while at least. His mom's gone, but he gets his dad there. He gets his family there. They live in in relative ease, right, for some time until we go further into the extra story, right? So we know that every rags to riches story is supposed to end with riches that everybody celebrates and enjoys and whatnot. So what's the ironic twist here in Kohela's story? Nobody cares. Nobody remembers. You're gonna die <laughs> no one's gonna give a grip. <laughs> back, to, back to Eeyore. Yeah, it's back to, you're gonna get very rich. And gonna get rich. It, it's, it's also special. back to the
4: Joseph story. Because, how so because after Joseph died and caught up the Pharaoh what's the not? very next
1: chapter the first first verse of Exodus chapter 1 is there came a new Pharaoh who did not remember Joseph and the people of Israel and he began to enslave you are exactly right so yeah at some point it turned ugly so ironic Um... If you're that person, if you're going through that story and you've gone from rags to riches, how does this make you feel? If you get to the end of life and it's what he described there, whether that's true, like his own experience, or he's suggesting that.
2: Empty. you
1: You feel like you wasted your life, right? No one cares. We're all forgotten in the end. I mean, that's pretty, like, depressing. Like, we're all sitting here going, yeah, that's not fun. Now, we probably would all like a shot at that. Wouldn't we?
4: We could do better. I would do it different.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if we had that money, yeah, if we had that and we had gone from nothing, we would certainly find meaning and purpose, right? No? Why? What is it about human nature that this is the result, far often, far too often, with this kind of success and money and power and all that? What is it about human nature? Either you forget where you did it from. You just work with this, you want to get better, and you're offer like, hey, I need more. Or you're like, and I'm doing really great. So I do have money. Why, why do I do it? I want more poor people. You forget. I like that. You forget where where it came from. What other what other lies do we buy into? Well, the well, next
5: the next guy goes further. So then you you just everybody keeps getting forgot because the next guy surpasses them. Okay,
1: there's always someone who's going to do better than you.
3: Yeah. Again, I'm going to come back to control. The more you get control of things, the more you can push out your control, and the more it feels like you're in control and doing it without anybody else. And suddenly you're without anybody else. You can look at that in politics. you got these 80, 70, 80-year-old men and women running the government,
1: and they should be retired enjoying their riches. But and most of them got rich, rich, rich there. Right. Yeah, but part of the reason they live on is, and they use this language all the time, by legacy. I want to be remembered for something. right? And they feel like they're not being remembered yet enough, right? And so there's, there's that piece. It's no wonder, then, that he concludes in verse 16, right? that all we end up with is with frayed nerves and seized up brains. That's the best way I can describe it. It's like you're walking around like, ugh. Right?
0: I think he should have learned his catechism.
1: He should have learned his catechism? Yeah. Man. The number one, what? what's catechism number one?
4: The chief end of man is to enjoy God. Yeah. No, to love God yeah. and fully
0: enjoy Him
1: for forever. That's exactly
0: That's why we're here. Yeah. Right huh? I'm just saying
1: it. Oh yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> the very first, the very first thing you learn if you catechize in the Reformed Church. Exactly. So we get to verses chapter five, verses one through seven. Now we're gonna, we're gonna hop there. Um, he's gonna change things, right? So after four chapters of wrestling um, with the hell of life, we get a sense that. Now, in these next few verses, I think we'll get a sense that something's a little different here. So listen for it, for something that might jump out to you in these next seven verses that feels maybe a little bit different. Somebody read 5, 1 through 7.
4: You might try religion, but if you do, approach God with fear and trembling. Don't bumble around like a fool making a racket. When you go up to the temple walk softly listen and be quiet be still don't make a loud show fools don't realize how much truth their noise conceals more approaching God don't be rash and say things you'll regret or ask for things you don't really want and please don't go on and on in your prayers (laughs) talk 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 because God though he is willing to listen, also looks forward to silence. (laughs) Just as nightmares come from having many worries, rash promises come from saying too many words. But if you're rash enough to promise God that you'll sacrifice something, carry through on that promise right away. Don't put it off. It's better not to make a promise than to break that. Why compromise your integrity and anger God? Words without actions have no more substance than the clouds that fill your dreams. Words are just more air.
1: This is the word of the Lord, again. (laughs) So, do you you sense a shift here, anything? Or is this just more Eeyore? What's your sense? Again, wisdom literature is about how it impacts us when we read it. What do you sense here? Is he pointing out something else
3: that's pointless and absurd? Or is there a ship? I would say he's pointing out it's absurd the way he's experienced it. Okay. So if I'm the king and I've got priests, again, we talked about previously the idea of um, Nathan coming to David and wow. like, was able to solve <laughs> the man. Yeah, we don't get a lot of that story. So it sounds like if he's, you know, if he's a king, these are priests who are performing. I mean, the going on and on and on. That's a performance kind of religion instead of that healthy relationship. Okay, that's good. But it does show a certain
4: reverence and respect for God. Yes. How so? Um, approach god with fear and trembling yeah i mean yeah it's reverential awe right yeah
1: gotcha okay interesting yeah so he does have some at least some degree of of respect or fear or reverential awe toward god okay he's giving
0: religion he's giving it some validity i mean because everything else he's like this This is is totally this is pointless this is pointless but if you do this, then he's like, okay, here's some parameters. Yeah. There might be There's, some value here, right? If you yeah. stay
1: within these parameters. Yeah. I hear Is fair? Don't that waste God. God's time. <laughs> and <laughs> mine, too. <laughs> it's like, if you're right, it's like, no, no I, I have to go to this version, too, and you're just, yeah. Yeah. What else? What do you think? Is he calling it pointless? Absurd? Vapor? Anything like that?
5: Only if you do it wrong.
1: Yeah, from his perspective, you from would do it wrong, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
5: If you're only words and no actions. That's when he referred to it as being like clouds to fill your dreams. So that was kind of the reference back to vapor.
3: Yeah. I'm not even sure he believes that religion will work here. When he says, you may try it. If you do, do this. But that doesn't mean things are going to go well or work for you. So I'm, not, I'm kind of thrown in. I'm not too sure that he's all in on the God. So it's interesting true. that you bring that up because,
1: um, and by the way, um, Brian, you might be probably in other musicians. I think Brian, is, he's been singing with me for 21, almost. Mm-hmm. Golly, next month it'll be 21 years. Wow. Yeah, we'll start a 21st year. Yeah, next year. Um, you are God in heaven. How does that go? You are God in heaven. And I how's that go? So I'll let my words be few? That's where it, this is where it's
3: taken. Oh yeah. Yeah, remember that song? <laughs> you are God in heaven
1: and I, I I'm terrible. I like, can't remember. But that's where they, they took it from? Rip, torn, and bleeding from its content. Like I said. But I think it's interesting here. Now, so it seems like we've arrived at the only thing Kohelith seems to respect, God. Maybe not religion. But God, like, be careful. You make promises. You want to make sure that you're, Follow you're following through. Don't use too many words. Your words conceal. A whole bunch of stuff. Now, let me ask you this question and tell you one little piece and see if it shifts your understanding. Like, because it's almost like he's saying there at the end, right? Um, the best course for humanity as it relates to, to being in relationship with God is to basically shut our mouths and know our place. I mean, that's a summary of what he said, right? So, um, an interesting Hebrew observation. Observation of the Hebrew, original Hebrew. The word that Koheleth chooses to use to describe God is not Yahweh, the one true God of Israel. Some of you who were in our supernatural discussions, he's using the word Elohim. So in your Bibles, that would normally be translated Whenever he's using Yahweh, the one true The God of gods, the one true God It's usually translated in your Bibles Capital, B, capital L And then little capital O, capital R, capital D Lord, that's the translation of Yahweh When it's translated as God Or anything else It's the word Elohim And it's important that we remember the distinction here right? So God When we talk about God We think of God attributally what do I mean by that? Somebody explain it. We think of God attributally.
2: These characteristics. Such as?
1: Love. Love. Love.
2: Forgiveness.
1: Forgiveness. Omnition. Omniscience. Omnipotence. All of those characteristics. So, so when we say it's God, we're saying it's this person who, this entity that is all powerful, all of this, all of these attributes we give to them. Right? Mm-hmm. In Hebrew, God's, God or God's are not attributal, they are positional. So, locational. Like they're they're in a place above the earth. So Elohim, a God, they they exist in a realm above us. And he didn't choose the one true God of Israel. He just said the generic God, as in like any God of the nations. Same word, same language. Does that change anything?
0: Does he said the God thing. You Who know, said, said that? The, yeah. The, yeah. the God thing. The God thing, you know. The, you know. know. Like, Religious yeah. stuff, kind of. Yeah. Good things. Something bigger than you.
1: So he's not using the covenant-keeping name of God, Yahweh, that they worship. But look at the imagery. What imagery is he
4: using? What's the <laughs> Look at it. When you go, where? To the yeah.
1: What's he saying here? What's his view of God?
4: There's reverence there. Like it, there's some spiritual power or authority that we
1: should. Not anger. Cross, yeah. Not cross, <laughs> Not waste their time. So we, my, my whole point in all of this is before we think this is some great statement that Koheleth has made about yes, the one thing that there is meaning in life is being in relationship with Yahweh, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God who loves us in this eternal love, right? And that makes sense if we think about the time period in which he's writing. He writes post-exiliate. After exile, how are the people feeling after 400 years of living in exile? Humiliative. What do you think their view of God, how it might be tainted? Why
2: did God take care of us sooner and faster? Maybe
3: betrayal. Betrayal? Why did this happen at all? why did it happen at all well thinking locationally even the idea of getting back to israel puts god in a locational gotcha
1: which is the deuteronomy 28 worldview that when after the after the uh the the babel experience when they come down, God separates them, gives them all languages, and Deuteronomy twenty-eight tells us that there was a God in Elohim that was placed over each one of the nations. So when when David talks about being afraid to go to a certain village or cross over into this area, he's afraid that God's not going to follow him because gods were not like universal everywhere, they're locational. Here they've been given a specific thing, and by the time we get to Ohella's writing, I wonder if he just wondered, he's just thinking. What, what happened to God? What happened to our God? So you're going to worship something, but ours is, at best, like, left us alone. So whatever you do, don't anger it anymore or what? We're going to end up back where we were. Does that make sense? That's a hard thing to understand because we have to put so many different pieces together to understand that what he's writing about, he does write about the thing that he feels, but I would suggest that he feels apart from God because of the fact that he's lived, you know, he's writing from, he, this, this writer, is writing of the general experience of Israel as they've come out of exile and said, I wonder where God was in the midst of all. So it should be, shouldn't surprise us that he still feels like, although this is better than anything else in life he's found, even this has pitfalls from his experience, right? It has pitfalls for meaning and purpose. Because we were supposed to be God's sure chosen people. We had a purpose. We had a destiny. And all of that walked away, not even in our land, We're occupied. We're back, but we're occupied. Make sense? it's interesting
0: that he, because he's talked about the study of scripture and
4: faith in previous chapters, and that was vapor, but the
2: approaching of the presence of God, he speaks of with reverence and fear and trembling, Like that's his primary. So it's not,
0: don't study and learn about faith, it's if you actually are
4: intending
0: to approach the divine being Consider them
1: separate things. Yeah. This is not an overall, in my opinion, this is not an overall assessment of God is where we find meaning and purpose in life. It's still heavily, heavily, what's the word for Guarded. It's like, yeah, there, there's some of you who are going to find some meaning in this, but be careful because, I mean, where has God been? Where is our purpose now? So when we talk about something like this, it's important that we talk about, OK, so it's written not to us, but for us, right? Scripture's is written not to us, but for us. So we have to ask ourselves, well, I presented five negative attitudes today, right? Laziness, workaholism, unhealthy independence, foolish ambition. And I'm going to pull this way. A lack of respect for God. Is that fair? A lack of respect for God. All right? So if you could remove one of these negative attitudes that you struggle with, which one would it be and why? Don't let's not get into the, well, people. Laziness, workaholism, unhealthy independence, foolish ambition, and lack of respect for God. If these are the human conditions that he's identified, and you had to pick one, I mean, this is why we live in community, right? If we could pull one of those out that we struggle with, which one would it be, and why? Why is it such a challenge? Lack of respect for God. I mean, well, that's the pillar
4: that supports a lot of the other things. Okay?
3: Well, cool. yeah, I think I would go in that same one. Um, getting that relationship healthy gives you framework to have the other things in right position behind that. What's the challenge?
1: So if, if we find it challenging, why is that Because God is God and I am not.
3: Stuff has to get done. So the stuff gets in the way of, it, at least it catches attention, more. So you have to be in attention to avoid the attention of the urge.
4: And we live our lives, you know, surrounded by imperfect people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we're all imperfect. And, I mean, the greed or jealousy or whatever. Is gonna be around you, so yeah. Getting, getting focused on God. There are a lot of distractions and things that trying to pull you in the wrong (laughs) direction.
1: Any other? Anybody else
3: brave enough to share the eye? I'm going to work with all of the ladies. <laughs> you know, but it's interesting. I mean, I've always had a healthy respect for God. I mean, the fear and trembling thing, the mercy thing, harder for me to, to grasp than the fear and trembling. So it's interesting, but uh, i have to say, the workaholic the and the laziness is definitely, uh, I've become heavy. I'm almost seventy years old. younger guys have stepped up to do this stuff, and so you kind of go, eh, you know, just kind of step back and go along for the ride. So, so no one, no one identified unhealthy independence. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah,
4: like a... Sorry. I feel it's so terrible. It's like. <some> <laughs> Is this together this is one Yourself is working, so you can you know, do it for yourself, so you work. Right. The thing that struck out at me was the non-stop talk. Not that I'm a constant talker, but I talk to God a lot about insignificant things, but I don't think he minds that. <laughs>
1: no, and, and I think that's part of what, it's almost like he's, it's almost mocking. Like, people who are that serious, but he's like, almost mocking, he's like, this God is so distant. He's left us so long. Why are you bothering telling him about, you know, I feel for so-and-so and, you know, all these things that God's not going to care about. Yeah, I think
3: that's, that's beautiful.
4: Yeah. That's foolish ambition for me rang true just
5: because I'm beginning to realize what little control we have over end results.
2: I thought the, uh, and please don't go on and on in your prayer, talk, talk, talk. I thought that was more about words that just sound good. Uh, not, not talking to God sincerely and, and real, just saying the words that sound good.
1: That's possible. Yeah.
2: That's, that's what I love about wisdom literature. It hits
1: you how it hits you. But I think his point is, from his perspective, is like you can talk all you want, but his experience is God is he's Elohim, not Yahweh. He's not the covenant-keeping God. He's just a regional god. He's just a local deity. He's just like anybody else. And just don't make him angry, and everything will be okay. It's a, I sense it as he's saying it's a waste of time, but I but I think you're right.
5: Interesting, because I I kind of like that next line that says, although he's willing to listen, he also looks forward to silence. To me, that speaks to shut up and listen to him, but he doesn't say listen. No, he just says be quiet. If he said listen, that would have been
4: that would have said
3: more. Yeah, we had the whole parable of the judge thing in there. You know, just keep coming back and just
1: beg God. Yeah, Jesus was yeah. That way, I think. Um, to be fair, I'm thinking through translation. Um, Hebrew thought, if you're quiet, you are listening. Like, it's part and parcel of the same thing. Like, you can't be quiet and not listen. Does the gospel speak to this? Specifically, the last seven verses. Does the gospel speak to this idea about God and how we approach?
3: Is it somehow different than being just Yeah, it's drastically different. The gospel is God incarnate. It can't be any more involved right. than
1: God taking on human flesh. Right. So the gospel definitely speaks to it. What was the word you used? It couldn't, what? It couldn't be more... How would you say it? Incarnate. In- In- our- couldn't be any yeah. opposite. Couldn't be any more opposite. Yeah. I'm
3: reminded of the uh, story you just told about the two men that went to the temple to pray, and the one came, you know, standing up. Oh and Lord, I thank you're like I love new you, like a monkey show, and lots of words. Yeah. the other one is just falling down before him, pouring his heart out.
1: So he picks up some of both, right? Don't do it for show, which is yeah, he's like that. So yeah
3: gospel speaks for that, yeah. Okay? Well, no.
5: The other thing that I kind of struggle with that I see it in both lights, was the words without actions don't have substance, but the whole purpose of the gospel is you don't have actions. It's your heart, but anyway, it's just kind of that, it's always that you have to you have to live your life and it will show, but it's not about the actions that...
1: Yeah, because anyway. yeah, it, it reads, this chapter reads so much of performance, yeah. doesn't it? Like a performative uh, relationship with God. Don't talk too much, but make sure you talk some. But like, if you make a promise, and say what, you better keep it, right? So whatever you're doing, performance-wise, do it because that's the best you can to Be consistent, but the gospel is different. Yeah, so that's What's
0: missing important? the graces. Yeah. Correct.
1: Yeah. The gospel speaks like the gospel. And Jesus answers every one of these questions.
0: We don't have to do He's imposing characteristics of God from his own experience. Like you just said, there's no grace. You know, he's like, because he's like, you know, don't anger God. God's going to be angry. God doesn't want to listen to you. God's going to be bored. God's going to want you to shut up. You know, so he's imposed attributes about God, not Yahweh, you know, that aren't
1: necessarily accurately but isn't it interesting that if you don't if we don't notice and pay attention to the choice of words for God how it totally impacts how you read that back. if he substitutes Yahweh there it's a completely different conversation well,
5: it's a completely different God
1: yeah I mean it's it's like okay Covenant-keeping God is here. We busted our promise. We had a whole bunch of promises before. We didn't keep them, so God did the just thing. He sent us out, right? But he doesn't say any of that, right? He chooses a completely different one that says, this God is who we're worried. This God's gone. This is who we're worshiping. It's important that we recognize the difference in the language of each other. Because the gospel speaks to this. All right, thank you. That's good work. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Table Dallas podcast. We invite you to join the conversation at one of our upcoming tables. To learn more about us, please check out our website at
0: thetabledallas.com. And remember, we're saving a seat for you at the table.